Welcome to the perfume room. My scent of the day today is Vanilla Adigia from Electimus, and this is a scent that the brand generously gifted me in PR, along with a few other travel sizes. However, this one quickly rose to the top, so I want to talk about it. Now, this fragrance is a perfect witchy October vanilla. It's got all the qualities of a sort of classic vanilla scent with the most interesting, aromatic, spicy, mossy twist. Imagine a fragrance like Vigny from Autremer, a sort of characteristic gourmand, but not sweet kind of vanilla bean vanilla. And I'm using this scent specifically as a reference because I know that it is a popular reference point for so many of you. So imagine this kind of vanilla as a base. But then what makes vanilla Adigia so special is who surrounds it. And to me, its most prominent peers are cumin, coriander, incense, and patchouli. The incense comes out most on blotter to my nose and a little less so on skin, but it's like this smoky, witchy, incensey vanilla that feels like you've wandered into the creakiest, coziest occult shop where incense and candles burn simultaneously. But then on skin, there is a cumin note that is just stunning. My issue with cumin and fragrance is that it often feels gratuitous, like a perfumer added it just to add a hook or overdosed it specifically for a challenge or to skank it up. Somehow, the cumin in here is perfectly balanced and it's perfectly balanced with specifically coriander. And in this fragrance, they both feel necessary. Cumin adds a sort of non-sweet, dry kitchen spice feel, and the coriander adds a sort of aromatic, but distinctly like anisic licorice quality. Then there's like this subtle, infinite patchouli that creeps in, and it feels almost like a secret path to some sort of vanilla abyss of which you will never reach the bottom. But you do reach that bottom, and that bottom gets you right back somewhere towards the beginning of a sort of classic, tried-and-true, Outremer Vanille-esque scent. It is creamy, but non-lotion-y. It's not sweet, but it feels gourmand. It's familiar, it's easy, it's comforting. And this is just a very pleasing vanilla and I'm really enjoying it. Let's get to our guest today. It's a fun one. Today we are joined by M. Doherty, an olfactive artist and researcher who uses scent to explore communication, memory, and interaction through their work. With an artistic practice rooted in sculpture, M's work often involves installation and personal interaction through the senses. Their exhibits and creations have included everything from perfume for dogs to expansion of the human body odor fragrance wheel, bringing forest bathing to New York City, and symphonic ephemera, a concert for the nose. Which, by the way, if you are in New York, you can actually catch this show Thursday, October 12th, this week, at Olfactory Arts Keller. I will post the details of the event in the description of this episode. Em and I had such an interesting conversation about everything from the smells of anxiety, to hot Cheetos, to the Pirates of the Caribbean ride at Disney, to dog poop in nature. Here is Em. Em, hello. Welcome to the Perfume Room. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be chatting with you. You are an olfactory artist. We are going to get into that in a little bit and some of the work and exhibitions that you've done recently. But before we do, the first question I ask every guest is, what are you currently wearing today, fragrance-wise? Who is she? <laughs> um, yeah, today I'm wearing Fisherson number Ooh. 101. I love okay. them so much. 
um, very like romantic, earthy, Icelandic seashore pebbles kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I find if their fragrance always like very grounding, but also makes me feel like a little bit more confidence. Like I feel like a little bit like a little strut in my step. You know, okay, it's interesting that you say this because when you and I first talked, you were talking about how you got into fragrance less on like the perfume side of things and more on like the olfaction artistic side. So I was very curious how that translated to your personal fragrance taste, if at all. Totally does. Um, I don't believe there's anything that's too weird. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's just like the weirder, the better. Some things I don't wear necessarily. Like I have, um, what is it? Like Misfits um, or Mischief's WD-40 perfume. It just like smells like my grandpa's garage, but I'm never going to be like walking around smelling like WD-40, but it's great. Um, But yeah, I do like collecting a lot of weird things. Um, If something like reminds me of like Alien Worlds, I'm all for it. Wait, is Alien World a reference I should know? No, just like alien space. Oh, I thought alien. there was like, maybe yeah. like something in pop culture called like alien world. And I was like, I don't know it. Damn it. Okay. No, that's just like common vernacular in my brain, I okay, guess. Okay. <laughs> so if something reminds you of like outer space alien-esque yeah, stuff. So, yeah, like sci-fi-y or strange or unique. I, I do tend to like buy a lot of fragrances that like aren't necessarily just like lovely to wear on the body, but are like interesting or funky, um, or strange. Yeah. Um, I remember for one Christmas, I got my brother, um, Zyrena's Dark Ride, which is like an exact replica of the Pirates of the Caribbean ride in Disneyland. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're from LA. So it's like a a very nostalgic smell for us. Um, and I got it for him because I was like, this is super cool. He's going to love it. It comes in a VHS case. Love that. Super funky. And he called me like a week later and he's like, why do I smell like fog juice? (laughs) And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess not everyone wants to smell like that necessarily on a day to day basis, but it's super cool. You're like, you have to know who gifted you the perfume. Do you see what I do for work? Like, of course, you're going to smell like a fog machine. if I'm gifting you a fragrance. I think this was like early days, too, of me getting into scent art. So I don't think he necessarily expected the weird from me, but just mm-hmm. thought, oh, look at this cool perfume. And it looks very much like his aesthetic. Um, but yeah, it smelled like fog juice and like metallic water, which is cool. But you and don't necessarily want to smell like that every day. Yeah, very alien world or Pirates, <laughs> Pirates of the Caribbean. Well, I was going to ask, because before we do get into all of the scent work that you do do, Speaking of this Pirates of the Caribbean ride, how much was scent a part of your life growing up? Honestly, I don't think it was a main focus. I know a lot of practitioners, either in perfumery or in scent art, where they have these really pivotal moments or this really like strong relationship. And I think the thing that was like most moving to me was that I didn't have a strong relationship and I had a very like strong awakening and realizing that I've like completely like shut up my shut out my consciousness to that whole Mm -hmm. well of information right um but I do think back now and there's this like one memory I have that I think actually had more of an impact than I knew in the moment um and that was just when I was in high school my aunt 
I would help her with odds and ends tasks throughout the year. And one year she decided to like repay me by taking me to Maui for a week, which was not something. I know. And um, yeah, very, you mow my very... lawn. I take you to Hawaii. <laughs> well, I mean, it was a little more involved than mowing the lawn. But yeah, I mean, she also like taught me how to do my taxes and stuff. Wow. So um, yeah, a wonderful person, huge inspiration. Um, also like very pivotal to me being the person I am. Um, but yeah, she was very, very generous and gifted me this trip. And in this one day we went to a lavender farm in Maui and on this day she happened to have a cold so her nose was all stuffed up and she loves lavender so much so she kept asking me to describe every single thing we smelled and I had never described smell before let alone the difference between two different bushes of lavender right like there's such a nuance to that um and it was very challenging and frustrating, but also, you know, it was a really unique experience that made me do something that, yeah, was uncomfortable. But that's like, I love that. I love going into things where I don't know how to do it and then I figure it out. So it, it was hard to do, but it put a lot of attention on things that have become important to me now. Do you remember like some of the ways that you figured out how to describe for example, two different lavender bushes, or if someone asked you today how you would do that, like what sort of descriptors would you use in that instance? Yeah. Um, now is very different. <laughs> in the moment, um, something, I used what language I had, right? Like if it reminded me of certain things, mm -hmm. and I think in that time of my life, the context I had for it, yes, would have been like dried lavender, or if there was lavender products I had, like lavender soap or mm -hmm. um, shampoo, things like that, where um, it would remind me of this product or it would remind me of a satchel of dried lavender, um, those sorts of things. Right. So I would, yeah, use um, what visual or personal references I had, which is something we all do, right? right. Um, when you're describing a scent, you often relate it to either taste or sight, those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. So um, it's a very natural thing to do. And that's what I did then. Now I have a little bit more language I'm currently in an apprenticeship with Michael Nordstrand, and he's oh, okay. a mythologist, and he's um, helping me with this a lot of developing that language. I just learned the word agrestic like two weeks ago. What does it um, mean for people listening? Yeah, hello. Um, <laughs> I'm pointing yeah. to myself for everybody who's hearing this or right Or past me from two weeks ago. <laughs> so it's referring to um, types of plants and like herbs that have more of like, I think it's like a French quality um, or that's where they're from, like the region they're from. So like mm -hmm. lavender's one, rosemary can be one, things like that, mm -hmm. um, where it's, it's a very aromatic herb, but it carries this whole different quality. I'm still learning the details of what that means, but I know lavender is like the key agrestic icon. She's an icon. Agrestic. So definitely would use that. And there's like a whole you can relate different smells to different qualities and adding spectrums to them. Um, so using those words, you know, something can be more or less acidic than the other. Um, so kind of trying to equate different qualities to numbers. Mm -hmm. um, a little bit more of a, yeah, there's like a little more of a formal um, assessment of smells now, or I car carry that now and pr I'm practicing that now than I definitely did then. <laughs> 
Well, it's interesting hearing you say this because so much of your work has been sort of putting language to smells that I feel like we otherwise would not have been able to to put a word or an association with, or it's more like a hindsight thing, like, oh, that makes sense. Like I was looking at what you've done with Dr. Meg Younger with the Somatic Atlas, and for everybody listening, there is a body odor wheel. And so I know about the fragrance wheel, obviously. I know about like the wine aroma wheel. But then I was looking at, and I was also like, where do I fall in this body odor wheel? Because some of them are like really, like it's like smelling, like one of them is like goat, wild mm-hmm. boar. Like there's some definitely um, odors in there that would fall in the more like offensive side of the spectrum. Totally. Part of that is that when we were working together, um, Meg was talking about how a lot of her students, should, just for context, she is a neuroscientist that works with mosquitoes, particularly in Um, studying mosquito olfaction, what in human bodies they're attracted to, what kind of patterns there are, are there ways to prevent them from being attracted to people, are there ways of preventing them from carrying diseases in this way? A lot of interesting work. So as her students are reading about these certain things and reading about how a mosquito is attracted to this certain chemical, she was discussing that they don't really have a frame of reference personally when you read a chemical of like knowing like, oh, this smells like this or Mm -hmm. they're attracted to this kind of quality. So that was kind of the jumping off point for our collaboration was figuring out, can we make something that's helpful to figure out references when they're reading these papers, right? So if they're reading something and it says like that mosquitoes are attracted to more phenolic Um, qualities, what does that mean? You know, having a mental image when you're picturing something is great, but it's hard to do that with smell. So creating a tool for that. So, right. And we tried to, we made a middle ground, right? I didn't just include each chemical one by one that people can smell. I wanted it to be a little bit more personally um, connective. And if you aren't studying, can this be helpful as well? Right. I didn't originally make the the body odor wheel. I just kind of grew it mm-hmm. um, from my notes on it, essentially, and some of the things that she wanted to make sure were represented. And so that's how we kind of grew it together. So you worked on the actual scents that are going in this kit that students can smell through. Yeah, I made all of them. I Some of them are individual materials, some of them are mixtures, but all of them, yeah, I mixed or made. So without a formal background in perfumery, because that's something that we've talked about that a lot of the things that you have learned to some degree are self-taught, how have you gone about figuring out how to make certain accords and learning that process? Yeah, um, we discussed this before, but, you know, I come from LA, so I learned a bit at the Institute of Art and Olfaction. Anyone that wants to learn more about this world, I highly recommend it. Um, So that's the most formal my education has been. And then I'm a big fan of research. So I will search through, there's a lot of great online resources. Um, Base Notes is a big one that I go to where it's forums of people that are, you know, starting out like me or professional Um, perfumers are there. So a whole range of perspectives and people just posing questions and getting a range of answers. So I'll like dig through that information. But I also love looking at GCMS reports, Mm -hmm. which are, it's a chemical analysis of headspace, which is the air above um, whatever is giving off a scent. So if it's 
a flower, for example, the headspace is just right above where that um, smell is coming off. So it's all of the odor uh, molecules in the air and GCMS will tell you what chemicals are present. It doesn't tell you like in what weight ratio. It doesn't tell you what's contributing to the smell or not. So mm-hmm. you have to kind of digest it and rely on some past information and further research on like what is this chemical. And through that, you can kind of deduce, okay, so this is contributing this quality. This is contributing that quality. And that's kind of how I start. Like I'll start very objective and then at a certain point when I'm mixing I like to really bring in the subjective that's kind of the cool part of smell so um that's yeah that's how I work and it's yes it's a little bit self-taught I but there's so much information available like between all of those things and I have a lot of books that I rely on and um yeah I'm just very comfortable asking questions to of people that I perceive to know more than me um yeah, I will say the scent community has been really warm as well because it's kind of this disjointed field. Everyone's coming from different perspectives. No one knows everything because we as humans don't know everything about smell. Um, so there is this culture of sharing information, helping each other out um, that I'm super grateful for and that has consistently presented itself to me. Okay, so this is all very interesting to me. Going back to the somatic wheel for a second, I mean, because we were talking briefly before this and I was telling you about how I saw the study that certain like fishermen will use like Victoria's Secret Amber Romance when they go out on the sea for like five nights at a time because right. they say like nothing works like their Amber Romance, which is the funniest thing in the world to me. But was there anything that while you were creating this wheel or working with Dr. Younger that you realized like if you have this kind of body odor, this is what mosquitoes are attracted to and are repelled from? Um, truly, I don't know. I think um, Dr. Meg Younger would definitely be a person to reach out to. She knows so much more than I do in this regard. Genuinely, I wish I knew mosquitoes love me. Um, okay, weird flex, but all right. <laughs> Well, I know what's not true, right, is there's this theory that your blood sugar level will make you more or less attractive to mosquitoes. And she has said that that's not necessarily true. I haven't looked into the research, so don't quote me on that at all. But um, I have learned that I don't know anything about (laughs) why mosquitoes like me, but I do I have the scars and bites to prove that they do. Okay. And you can identify where you fall on the body odor wheel, regardless of right? That must be hard to self-identify, right? It is. It's easier to do it for others. I think that's true. But also it's important to just realize that it's never one thing. You're not a static. Yeah. Nothing about humans is like set in stone and one thing, but particularly with that. um, Yeah. Every time we have an emotion, we release different chemicals in our bodies. Um, so your body odor smell is constantly changing, constantly evolving based on what you eat, based on how you feel, based on how old you are, based on different, um, chemicals in your body, higher or lower, their regular cycles, right? I will say that, like, I notice that when I've had stressful days, my smell is so much more acidic, Mm. um, than days that I've that I haven't. And I think the older I get, the more acidic it is. And I think that's lactic acid, but I don't exactly remember off the top of my head. Um, But yeah, it's like a more sour note. Yeah. 
But and there's been a lot of artists that have done really interesting work, particularly around body odor. Um, Cecil Tolos, who's an incredible olfactory artist, um, did a piece where she had um, a bunch of different subjects that had different phobias. She had them like she presented their phobia to them and took um, readings of their body odor smells. And then she recreated these smells. Um, she painted gallery walls with these smells. So you can like smell them, but it's essentially the smell of fear, right? It's a smell of all of these people expressing mm-hmm. fear chemically. Um, this was a like, huge inspirational piece to me. One, cause I was like, there's so many levels to it um, where she does come from, a formal biological and chemistry background where there's a lot of meat there that I don't fully understand how she did. Like how, like how do you capture body odor in that way? How do you then synthesize it? How do you put it on a wall so people can like scratch and sniff the walls, right? There's all of these levels to it that I didn't fully understand. So it felt like magic, but also it was like the first time I realized that yeah, we're constantly giving off all of these different like smells of emotions right. and it's a super subconscious thing, but I think that's super I don't know, that's so beautiful to me mm-hmm. that we have these like bouquets of emotions. A bouquet of emotions. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I was with a friend the other night and we were specifically talking about I was wearing a shirt and like for some reason there's certain fabrics that just like always pick up like a BO smell even if it's mm. not me, it's like the fabric of the shirt. I don't know if it's like polyester or whatever it is but I was like for some reason yeah I'm like why do I keep wearing this sweater every time I wear this sweater even if it's freshly washed and I don't smell it gets this like weird smell and I was talking to her about that and she was saying like that for her it's less about the material of the clothes but she knows that when she has like specific anxiety or like nerves about something that she gets like BO in a way that smells different than like any other like sweat smell and I was like you know what that is something Anyway, this is neither here nor no, there. That's but, exactly but yeah, it. it's it's just interesting how your body can give off a smell that correlates to your emotion or your state of mind. Exactly. I have this theory about New York that the reason everyone's so stressed out is because, like you said, like anxiety and stress have a particularly bad smell to us, right? right? It's signaling to other people around you that there's danger, right? This goes back to like when we were in fully surviving evolution, right? And so I think that, well, one, when you smell some something that is stressful or someone that is experiencing anxiety, it creates the same emotion in you. Mm-hmm. So I'm convinced that everyone just being in the subway all the time is just smelling everyone's stress, getting stressed, and then continuing their day. We're just like in so such close quarters, mm-hmm. and there's just not enough air <laughs> that we're just smelling all of the anxiety. I hope I'm not recreating the smells of my subway car because, <laughs> my God, some of those smells... <laughs> Oh, I know. If you if you are what you smell, I'm not taking that subway again. I gotta tell you that. Okay, <laughs> okay. We have one more question that I always ask at the beginning before we get into the to the meat of the episode, which we've already done. So we're going backwards. But do you have a fragrance or scent hot take or controversial opinion? Yeah, I think that particularly right now, the naturals versus synthetic thing is like. A big argument, but I don't think it's. I know it's not black and white. Um, I yes, everyone has their own sensitivities to different um, molecules and chemicals, but there's this assumption that naturals means that it's less likely to have chemicals. That's not true. Mm-hmm. Um, what what is true is that a lot of different substances are needed to even extract those materials. So 
alcohol could be involved. All sorts of um, petroleum products are involved in extracting natural materials. And then there's not as much regulation around it. So you're not as confident that when you get something that has lavender on it, you don't know what that means. There's a lot of different molecules that are that go into that smell. So you don't know exactly in what ratio, exactly what's present. So you don't really know what you're sensitive to or not. And with synthetics, there's a significantly more regulation around it, a lot more of data is gathered, you have a lot more um, clarity around what's present in what ratio and what purity. So it's just not so black and white. So when I hear people talking about all naturals, or, or just synthetics, I feel like, yeah, I, I mean, I'm definitely sympathetic to the sensitivity around smell, everyone has it, um, and chemicals in general. But I don't think that naturals is the solution necessarily. And I don't know how hot of a take that is. I think other people share that. A lot of people share that. Well, it's interesting hearing you say that take because you are coming at it again from more of like the artistry side, but definitely in like perfume formulations and everything from like mass market fragrances to very niche ones. That's a take that I do think a lot of people share. So, I mean, it also reminds me because as I was looking through your body of work and I saw um, your forest bathing exhibit that you did, yeah. you told me that there were biomaterials in there. And I was like, what's a biomaterial? And you were <laughs> like, it means it was alive. But I'm, I know that that had like a dichotomy of um, naturals slash living things and also some synthetics. So I would love to learn more about that. Totally. Um, I use both. I Yeah, I use both. I do get my materials from like perfumer suppliers. So they always come with safety data sheets. And what that means is it has all the information of what's present in that material, where it's collected from. Um, a lot of tests are run on it. Mm -hmm. um, and then my kind of rule of thumb is to try and just be as transparent as possible with that. A lot of what you see when you do get a product that's scented is it'll just say like fragrance material. And that can mean anything. Right. So I don't know what the solution is here, right? There's a lot of protections that perfumers don't have around their formulas. So it's a whole other can I of worms, right? It's a whole other can of worms. So I, but I appreciate that because there's no protections for perfumers, they need to be a little bit more um, secretive or um, protective of their own work because there's no legal support there. Mm -hmm. um, on the other hand, it means that people that have certain chemical allergies or things, don't have the information they need to make the best decision for themselves. So I try to just be as open as possible with that. Um, and my one workaround is that I'll try to distill at least one of my own materials so that there's something that, you know, is signature to it. So if someone went to recreate it, they couldn't exactly for that reason. Mm. That's kind of my way of threading the needle um, but yeah, to talk about forest bath more specifically, I was invited to do my first solo show ever during COVID. And I was kind of in a burnout of like creatively, I didn't know how to answer the question of like, why is this important? What can I add? Mm -hmm. So I was kind of stuck in that space for a while. And I had been doing some research around forest bathing um, which is just the phenomenon of like sitting in a forest can create 
all of these physical and mental benefits for you. And there's been a ton of different studies, mainly in Eastern medicine around this. So you can lower blood pressure, it can um, lower stress, it can also increase cancer fighting cells in the body, like all of these really profound physical and mental benefits. And the theory is that Yes, there's a benefit to just sitting in nature, away from screens, away from stressful scenarios and all of those triggers, but also that the chemicals that are present in the smell of the forest enter your body. Whenever you smell something, you're literally taking it in your body. So that could be contributing to the physical benefits as well. My thought was that the people in New York City particularly don't really have access to forests in the same way. So it's this free therapy and free medicine that just isn't accessible based on geography. At the time, I was living in upstate New York, so I was very much feeling all of the benefits Mm -hmm. of forest bathing. And so part of it was that I wanted to share that with people. And it felt like, okay, this is something that I can give people in the time of COVID that actually can be beneficial, particularly as we've been indoors for so long in our own environments, not able to move this is kind of a way to bring the forest into the city. So I presented it in a couple of different forms, meaning that for like the show, I had sculptures on the inside of the gallery, but I also pumped out the smell of the forest to the street at different intervals so that people passing by could take in the work without having to go inside because that was a limitation. Um, And for the sculptures themselves, I started playing with biomaterials, um, particularly mycelium, which is the roots of mushrooms. So as they eat different uh, substrate, which in this case was just wood chips, that's their food, as they eat it, they connect together and form a really, really strong bond, really resilient. Um, And so it's a very rigid, very strong material, but it's also super flexible in its use. A lot more work has been done now. And in the past like five years around mycelium, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of leathers that have been made from it, furnitures that are made from it, even building materials. Yeah. And the idea is that it's a a more, well, it's it's a hundred percent biodegradable, um, but it's, The idea is that it would replace things like plastics that have this insanely long lifespan. They have a great strength, Mm -hmm. um, but they can be harmful to the environment, right? So mycelium is just as strong, but not as harmful. Hmm. And I mean, there's something beautiful to working with the roots of a forest in trying to create these like sculptures of forests. And what I mean by that is what I did was I had these cubes, I call them little forest fragments. So each one had a different aspect of the smell and all together in the room, they created the smell of the forest together. But when separated, they're just like a part of it. Hmm. But there was something beautiful to using the like actual material of the forest in making the smell of the forest. I felt like there was lovely symmetry there. That is beautiful. And I also do want to talk about the sculpture piece of it, because I know that your background is originally in sculpture. So let's go back a few steps. One, how did you get into the scent space and what were you doing prior? Right. So it's easier to start with what I was doing prior (laughs) because it led to- It it all builds up. Yeah. It builds. Yeah. There's a nice little build up there. So 
Um, yes, my undergraduate degree is in sculpture, and I was particularly interested in performance art and interactive and installation art. Um, so very space oriented, like dealing with spaces. Um, my best friend, Anna Zlokovich, highly recommend you check out her work as well. Um, she is a director and writer, and she um, encouraged me to work with her on, as a production designer for a music video. And so we started to explore space and time, but in front of a camera, right? And I kind of got hooked on this idea of being able to like build out the psychology of a person in their space and build out um, the thematics of a written work in a space. And yeah, I was lucky enough to work with Anna where it was super collaborative. But as I got further and further in the film industry, that's not necessarily a given. I think once you build up a career and reach a certain point in the film industry, you have a lot more say as a production designer. Mm -hmm. But I didn't have the stamina to get to that point. I had like a lot of ideas and thoughts in my head and I wanted to like explore them now. So I was getting frustrated. Um, I'm a particularly impatient and stubborn person. So what's your sign? I'm a Capricorn. Okay, checks out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Continue. <laughs> Very Capricorn. Um, so I was feeling pretty frustrated with the industry, um, just that it felt like in the state I was in, I was kind of having to turn off a lot of my thoughts and my critical thinking to make the job easier. Mm -hmm. um, and that was hard for me to do. And um, so I was feeling really frustrated and burnt out, right? Um, of feeling like I had to pause my brain and stop my brain and stop like my natural growth to make the job easier. And so I kind of started taking a step back and I'm from LA. I was living in LA at the time and in Los Angeles is the Institute of Art and Olfaction. Shout out to them forever and always. Um, and I, oh, I guess it was actually before that. So I was just reading Natural History of the Senses by Diane Ackerman, um, who's a really, really great writer and making um, scientific concepts, very accessible, very easy to read. And it was just going through each one of our, our senses and talking about the historical significance, the cultural significance, and like some of the scientific background. And I was reading the chapter around smell. And as I was reading it, I was reading it while I was walking my dog. And every time I walked my dog, I was like smelling more and everything felt so much more clear, like the colors were more vibrant. Yeah, I started realizing how little I knew about smell and how, yeah, little I pay attention to this throughout my life. So in the book, she mentions olfactory art, which I did not know existed at the time. And I just looked up if there was any art near me in L.A. dealing with olfactory art. And I was lucky enough that Brian Goitzenleuchter was showing at Bergamont Station um, his piece. I think it's called Solange or Solange. And Essentially, what it was, was everyone that enters the gallery gives their zip code and receives the scent of that place. So I walked in and I gave my zip code and I was living in West L.A. at the time. And I received the smell of what was described as fresh cut grass and trophy wives. <laughs> um, 
And it was exactly that. And it was incredible. And it was, yeah, there's like wit there. Um, but also because everyone is receiving different smells, like if someone lives in downtown and comes, they're going to receive like um, exhaust, cigarettes and, you know, mm-hmm. piss. So mm-hmm. I you then like interact with other people and ask like what they smell like. And you're like smelling other people's arms and it's really beautiful. But Brian was there. And I started talking to him and asking all of these questions about, like, how do you do this? How do you get into this? Um, And he recommended I go to the Institute of Art and Olfaction. So um, I looked up, you know, when they had a class and they have open sessions where you can come in. um, You pay a small fee to use their materials and you can kind of do whatever you want. Usually when you go for the first time, you do just like a perfume mixture, which is what Mm -hmm. I was doing. I went in. um, I you know, when I was a kid, I was very obsessed with Cleopatra, who had a very intense relationship with smell. So I was like, oh, I'll go in and I'll try to like recreate her smell, um, which was fun. I like sat down and I was like mixing and you like smell through the whole wall of materials. But I started talking to the people around me and I asked someone there like what they were working on. And they were saying that they were trying to recreate the smell of hot Cheetos, which (laughs) blew my mind. I had no idea that was possible. Like, how do you even begin to approach that? Um, yeah, just see match. I still haven't figured out who that person was. I would love to know because they've had such an impact on my life. If you're listening and you created the Hot Cheeto Accord. Please hit me up. (laughs) I have lots of thanks to give you. Um, (laughs) but yeah, it's just, yeah, every stage of it was very circumstantial, but I just kept following this curiosity. Yeah, it's been every moment I feel like this like moment of magic, like, whoa, I didn't know you could do that. I didn't know that was a thing. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you do that? Um, and yeah, like I'll say over and over again, there's so much we don't know. Right. So the more and more I get into this, the more and more I have these questions that I don't have the answer to that no one has the answer to. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of really kept me hooked when I was in sculpture. Um, when I was studying sculpture, a lot of teachers, I mean, all of our professors told us we have to kind of pick our medium, um, and pick our style. So, you know, what you're in, um, conversation with. And I found that so difficult mm-hmm. and like so limiting, right? Um, cause my medium changed all the time. I would do video art, I would do sculpture, but sculpture can mean a million different things. Um, mm-hmm. I would do performance art, I would do all sorts of things. So I kind of made myself a promise that, um, I would just follow my curiosity, wherever it took me and not worry about the medium, just keep following the questions. And um, with scent, there's all sorts of questions and it kind of has just kept me gravitating around this space. Like each one of my works will come together in a completely different way. Sometimes it's literally just a fragrance. Sometimes it's literally just a smell. Sometimes it's sculpture. Sometimes it's interactive. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's a device. It's like all, it can be all sorts of things, but my questions keep me in this space. You're you're talking a lot about like your curiosity guiding you and just continuing to learn because you can't learn at all. And I'm curious if in the course of your studies and your discovery and your research, if there's been one pivotal aha moment. I know that's a very loaded question, but if there was ever like one thing that you learned that you were just like, like where a lot of things clicked for you? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, it's like pretty cliche to talk about, um, how scent and memory are so closely related, but it's like something that we experience so viscerally and, um, it has kind of connected to a bunch of different things in my life. Um, 
like I have family members with Alzheimer's or I had family members with Alzheimer's. So it's something I think about a lot. Like I'm probably going to have it. And I think about, you know, what does that mean for my life? That's heavy. The thing I think about a lot, right, is how those moments when you smell something and it's not that you just like remember an image of something. It's that you're like physically transported there. Yeah. And like I was in a cab in New York and the taxi driver wore the fragrance that an ex-partner wore. And I like started crying in the backseat, right? Thinking of them. Um, And that's not like a unique experience, right? Like a lot of us have that. And Mm -hmm. there's been research around, um, particularly with Alzheimer's, how music can be really impactful, right? Someone that's almost nonverbal can remember all of the words to one of their favorite songs. Right. Um, And how does that operate? And um, I've done work around, you know, like, the similarities between music and scent. And I think a lot about how they might operate similarly in that regard where they can bring up memory. Yeah. And maybe that means that people with memory difficulties can access things they didn't think they could before. I don't know if it's like, that's a strong aha moment, but that's like, yeah, that's like the meat of stuff that I like hold on to a bit. I'm interrupting your listening to bring you the special announcement that tickets for October Smell Club are officially on sale now. The link to get your ticket is in the notes of this episode and the theme for October in the spirit of Scorpio season of which I am a part is the most enigmatic genre of them all, skin scents. We'll be smelling everything from soft Iononi musks to animalic ones and everything in between. It's going to be so much fun. And as always, packs are sold separately. Once you sign up for your preferred session, you will receive the link to purchase your sample pack. If you've ever been curious about skin scents, or perhaps you love them or hate them, or maybe you don't understand them, this is a great way to explore and learn more about this elusive yet pervasive category. Let's get back to M. Well, it is my dog's adoption day today, so full disclosure. Oh, we can, okay, happy gotcha day. Exactly. It's Earl's special day. I've been singing that to him all day. Wait, what have you been singing to him? It's Earl's special day. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't include that. Although my, my dad will love that. <laughs> I might leave it. Yeah, that's fine. It's been his song all day. <laughs> He's going to get cheese. He's going to get bacon. He's going to get a pup cup. Um, which is just whipped cream, but he's going to be thrilled. I'm happy for, for <laughs> Earl. Okay, so so speaking of Earl, there we go. That's the segue. Hello. There we go. Okay, <laughs> speaking of Earl, you created something I've never seen before. And it's I people have joked about it on the podcast. People have talked about wanting to smell like their pets or loving the smell of their cat's head or whatever. And people have talked about perfuming animals. You did it. You created a <laughs> fragrance that can be shared by human and and dog or cat. Oh, is it just for dogs? Cats can wear it too. I but it was yeah it was very fun. inclusive of you. Oh, we, we love the felines um, as well as the canines. All of the, all of the nines. <laughs> are you and Earl both wearing your the fragrance today? And tell us about the fragrance. No, we are not. Um, we rarely match fragrance wise. Often match clothes wise so (laughs) the fragrance so I was doing my thesis at NYU for my master's at the time and um Andreas Keller of olfactory art Keller where I show often said he had an opening for a spot did I want it and he knew that I had at that time I was doing a lot of research around dogs and how they smell 
um, and I was reading um, Alexandra Horowitz's Being a Dog, which if you haven't read it, I highly recommend. It's so good. It's so funny. Um, it's really deep in the science, but it's also in like such a personal, accessible way. It's all about how dogs see the world through their noses. And she kind of follows her dog on this journey and like studying how they relate to the world. She'll take scent walks with her dog where she'll smell everything her dog smells. So she'll be like literally on That's the ground choice. on the side. It's a choice, <laughs> but I love the commitment. You know, it's like yeah, a, it's like yeah. a fully lived performance art piece and I'm here for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was reading that and I was talking about that and I was theorizing about it and I was kind of in an obsessive state about it. So when Andreas asked if I wanted to show, I said yes. Um, but I was also very stressed during my thesis. So I was like, I'm going to have the most fun I possibly can doing a show. Um, so that was my full motivation <laughs> was to have fun with it. And, um, as all the dog owners out there know, there's like a certain smell of your dog's paw pads. And it's like very corn chip, very tortilla, um, Frito, lovely, wonderful. So mm-hmm. um, that was one of the things I like was like, I have to do that. And then everything I sold at the show was really just fun. So I wanted to make a perfume for dogs and people um, based around Chanel number no. five. Um, I made like grass scented poop bags. So when your dog poops, you can smell what they smelled before their poop. It's just like very, <laughs> very silly, very fun. Um, and then the show itself had like six different smells um, presented in dog bowls um, at human eye level and dog eye level. So you can smell together. So it's also an art exhibit for your dog. Yeah. Um, And that was probably the best part. If anyone has an opportunity to show any work for dogs, I highly recommend it. They don't care as much as humans do, but it's the cutest experience. So much joy. I was on the ground of the show for the majority of it. I was just sitting on the ground petting everyone. Um, it was wonderful. Humans and dogs alike. Oh yeah. <laughs> My friend came and so no, everyone, so there was dog bowls on the ground for the dogs to smell f- from, and there's dog bowls on the wall for people to smell from. But when my friend showed up, he like got on the floor and smelled the dog bowl. And I was thrilled. That's like all I wanted to happen. It was really just a study on human behavior. And yeah. do you go for the low bowl or the high bowl, right? Yeah. And 99% of people go for the high bowl. One goes for wow. the low bowl. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Shout out to the 1% in this instance. (laughs) 100%. (laughs) Okay. So, so I want to hear more about this. So, the fragrance, I know you said it was like a play on Chanel number five, and it was like K. K number nine. Yeah. K number nine. Okay. (laughs) What did it smell like? And, like, what in your um, viewpoint is an ideal scent for your K9 companion? Yeah. That's a great question. So, um, in this process, I kind of looked. I was looking around to find, you know, what smells are neutral or just pleasant or non-toxic to dogs because a lot of plant materials are toxic to dogs. Um, So I knew that was going to be a factor. Um, I didn't want the whole place to smell like bacon because then they would be freaking out looking for food and never find it. And that's just torture. We don't want to play that game. Um, So... Chanel number five is like very based around like citrus and florals um, and very airy kind of notes. Like it was famously like overdosed with aldehydes. Um, Mm -hmm. So the perfume is like similar, 
Um, but it has lower citrus notes and a lot more florals in it. But the main thing is that it uses like very minimal materials and then hyper diluted and water based. So uh, not alcohol. Um, that's the main thing. We're not dosing our animals with alcohol. Um, so that was kind of like the play I did around it. Yeah, Earl has been very neutral about it. <laughs> He's never really impressed with my work. I think He's your the, toughest critic. He is my toughest critic, but, you know, honest always. And that's the best. Mm-hmm. I remember when I, I was doing Forest Bath and I made, well, I was f- finishing making some of the sculptures of it. I had laid them all out and Earl like went to smell one and lifted, w- tried to lift his leg to one of them. And I was like, oh, I've made it. I've tricked him into thinking it's a tree. We've that's done it. it. Yeah. Arrived. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. Full disclosure, I did catch him before anything happened. There's no sculptures with urine on them in this world. I mean, would be interesting to explore. More biomaterial for you, I guess. More more biomaterial, and you didn't even have to reconstitute it in a lab. just happened organically. Uh, That's nature, baby. That's really interesting. That's nature, baby. You're talking about Chanel number five. Thanks. um, you, that's my other segue. Okay. But I'm curious because one thing that you and I discussed the other day was just that like, you're not coming into this as like a, like a frag head or someone with this right. like canon of historic fragrance knowledge. Is that something that you've been like more curious as you've gone further in this? Or do you feel like fragrance, like, um, fine fragrance is still separate from your work? Um, I, th- that's a great question. I've definitely become more interested in it as I work um, because it's kind of the longest standing olfactory art example, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and like olfactory art is just like defined as any work of art that uses scent as its primary medium. Um, so you think with paint and painting, that can look like a million different things. The same is true in olfactory art. Um, and there's been examples of olfactory art for a long time, but the most socially known form of working with scent is perfumery. And yes, the way I work and the way olfactory artists work is can be very different from fine fragrances. With fine fragrances, you're working on making a scent for the body as a consumable product. There's budgets, there's clients, there's companies, there's a lot of other factors that go into that. With olfactory art, the audience is different. It's not necessarily for the body. It's not Mm. necessarily to be a pleasant thing. It can be exploring a whole range of different topics. It is limited and is not limited in very different ways than fine fragrance is. The reason I'm gravitating more and more towards fine fragrance as far as education goes is because there's a lot of rules in fine fragrance, right? It's a practice that's been around for a while. So there's a lot of structure and rules and formalities in that space that I don't know of. And as much as I love breaking the rules, I definitely do. I'd like to know the rules I'm breaking. Mm -hmm. Um, That's kind of been the like thought process behind starting to work uh, for a perfumer and like learning from a perfumer formally. I do want to, you know, design for the body at some point. I plan on releasing a fragrance this year, but um, I know my approach is going to be very different than a, than a perfumer, uh, than any other perfumer. And I think that'd be true even if I was a formal perfumer, but mm-hmm. um, I'm definitely coming from um, a more experimental, I guess, side of things. Um, 
and thinking about like what it means to be wearing a smell and like what a scent can do for the lived experience. When I was like playing with the idea of designing for the body, I kind of did these interviews with friends of like, okay, if I was doing a custom scent for you, what are the questions I would ask? What would I be interested in? And I, and, or like, what could I do for someone? And I kept thinking about like, yeah, what does a smell do, do for a person's life? Can it be affirming of your identity or of your gender uh, expression? Can it be transitional? Can it be something where you're carrying a memory or stepping into the person you wish to be like aspirational? Yeah, there's like all of these different mechanisms. And I don't know if it's unique to my perspective, all of these questions, you know, like, I don't think any one thought is solely my own. But I think I just put more weight in that area when designing for the body than perfumers might with all the other factors they're dealing with. It's so interesting that you bring up a gender identity and fragrance because perfume, commercial perfume at least, does, even though it's getting a little bit post this binary, Thank it's you. still so gendered. Yeah. And what something that I've noticed too is that there seems to be this third category that people are, that perfumers and people in the industry are using as like the catch all solution yeah. of like, this is for men, this is for women. And this is our unisex scent yeah. and it's sandalwood and vetiver. And it's it's just so interesting. You've just made a third category. It's like you haven't transcended this binary yeah. of like mixing elements of the feminine and the masculine. You've just decided that this uh, vaguely woody, yeah. dry a- aroma is, is that the non-binary category? Is that the unisex category? It's, su- it's such an interesting thing that I'm seeing in the space right now. Totally. Yeah. And it's funny because it like follows some of like the social things that have happened too, right? Where you think about like the way that like we identify gender and sex, it's like man, woman, other, right? Like that's been the format of inclusivity historically. So it perfumery seems to be a little bit like um, reflective of something that we're trying to move away from. But there's also a lot of queer perfumers that don't operate in those terms mm-hmm. that just have, here's perfume for all. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, historically, perfume has been very gendered. I don't know why people think that if you're born with genitalia, you're going to like flowers more than woods mm-hmm. or the other way around. Um, I think that's hilarious and <laughs> wrong. But it also like, you know, I, I've, I've said before, I hate florals. And I think part of it is I am non-binary and I have responded to a lot of like socialized gender in my life. Um, I was assigned female at birth. I was raised as a woman. So I have felt the pressure of like, oh, you know, you're female. So you like flowers. So I think in response to that, I've been very, no flowers, never, no thank you. And I think the now that I'm like maturing a little bit more, I, yeah, if you're, I have this value of like, if you're in opposition to something, you're still reflecting it. So I want to well, find Well, I want to take that in for a second. If you're in opposition <laughs> to something, you're still reflecting it. That, I just wanted to say that again, because that's, that's yeah. something. Yeah, I mean, particularly with gender, that that has been a theme a lot, right, where um, I have liked playing with makeup a lot. um, And when I started to explore being non-binary, I was like, oh, no, I can't play with makeup anymore because that is assigned feminine and I'm not just feminine. And 
I was like, no, I'm reflecting those ideas if I'm counter to it. Mm -hmm. I'm just going on the other side of the spectrum, right? So I think that that plays out a lot in my life. And I think that is very clearly what was happening with florals. So now I'm like, no, I can I can like explore florals in my terms, in my ways and find out what that means for me. But yeah, gender doesn't exist for perfumes. Anyone could like anything. Anyone could hate anything. (laughs) Um, Yeah, everyone's different. Everyone's subjectivity, perspective, like dislikes, they're all going to be different. So yeah. Yeah, I I really agree. And I'm curious when you start creating perfume for the body, as as we've been talking Mm about, um, if it's if your goal is for it to be because you said you were interviewing friends about like what you know, what their their affinities are in fragrance. I'm curious if you would want it to be more of like wearable, olfactive art that's more of like a social commentary piece or something that you are like, you know what, this scent really becomes you and this smells great on you. Like, where do you see yourself in that spectrum? Yeah, I don't think it's either actually. When I started to design it, um, I've like carried the, I, I've carried a certain heartbreak for like a decade now and it's like a very particular place and time in my life and person in my life. And for some reason, when I was thinking about like designing perfume for the body, I like thought about a lot of the like materiality of that time in my life. And I've been like thinking about like, you know, if those smells are like super like triggering and sad to me, what is it for other people to like live with those on them and experience joy with those? Can that be a therapeutic process for me? And like, maybe that's selfish, but um, when I was thinking about smells I would want to create that are more designed for like to be worn, I kept thinking about those kind of things. So yeah. Once again, fragrance as a therapy form (laughs) is kind of the big thesis right it's like yeah I mean that's definitely how I feel about art right like art was like the language when I didn't have language particularly around like emotional um woes particularly with like the heavy stuff Mm -hmm. um it's a way of processing through those things so yeah maybe it's like going back to the root of like what I needed art for in the first place what a full circle moment we have arrived at on this podcast okay this, I feel like we could talk for like another two hours, but I do want to be mindful yeah. of your time. And I want to talk about one other project before we get to the final segment of the show, because you're talking about trying to find language around art. And you did a really cool exhibit recently um, with something that you created called an odor organ, where basically right. you one would play it like an organ or a piano, but it emits sa- uh, scent and not sound. Tell yes. us about it. Um Absolutely. So that was um, it started as my thesis at, at NYU it was like the first time I prototyped that device. It's now in its like fourth iteration. Um, I did not invent the concept of equating notes in sound to notes in fragrance. Um, Septimus Pease was the first to do this. It's been like theorized since like the 1800s and has like come like different artists have taken different approaches to it but I wanted to explore like how to create a device for like personal education around smell like I've learned about so many qualities of smell um in my lifetime and things that I think are now common knowledge I'll like be speaking to someone in a completely different industry about and they're like oh really and they they don't they didn't know and I was like of course you didn't like of course you didn't because like this information isn't taught to us the same way other things are like we're learning about how to identify colors when we're 
babies. No one's teaching us the word aggressive. You got to find that on your exactly. own. You got to find that with, as an apprentice yeah. to a perfumer. You've really got to hunt for <laughs> it, right? So, so I wanted to like create something that used play to teach you about smell and to like make fragrance and smell like not intimidating, right? Like it's perfumery is really intimidating. It has like this like weighted history, a lot of chemistry behind it, um, a lot of formality. Um, Even with olfaction, like engineers approach it, neuroscientists approach it. It's an accumulation of a lot of different fields. So it can feel like a lot to just get into. So I wanted to just like do something that made it more fun mm-hmm. um to play with cuz like fun makes it very easy to learn um for me anyway. Um so that's why I kind of like took this form and took this historical thought of equating the two cuz music and smell like we talked before are very similar like even the language is similar. Mm-hmm. You use notes for both. Um a chord in music is a combination of notes. An accord in fragrance is a combination of smells. Um even a perfumer's organ is your collection of materials that you work from. Um so that's kind of where the odor organ came mm-hmm. from. Um cuz you also think of your organ like physically your nose. Mm-hmm. Um not actually an organ, but still. Um <laughs> I wasn't going to so check you it on was, it. It sounded good to me. <laughs> But hey, just for all the scientists out there, I'm aware my nose is not a full <laughs> organ. <laughs> but it can be. She's ambitious. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I was like doing a little wordplay with that. But um, yeah, the main concept was um, using this form to allow people to kind of experience the temporal quality of scent, like how things build and dissipate over time. Scent isn't one thing, it's not fixed. Um, and it can be a complicated thing to work with because of that, um, but it's really beautiful and it's something to consider. So that was something I wanted in the forefront, but also the additive of quality of it. So as materials are influencing each other, they can really change. And it's something you experience a lot while you're mixing for smells, but it's hard to decipher when you're just walking around in the world. So I wanted something that made that clear and made it, um, I don't know, easy to find. And um, the first time I showed the device, I had it so that audiences can play it for themselves. And recently I've been moving towards doing performance performances with it. So I call it symphonic ephemera, and it's just like this notion of things in unison that are dissipating, right? Um, This like moment of entropy, it exists in the air and then it's gone. And it's more performed. And for this iteration of it, I worked with a scientific engineer, Daniel Gross, also my friend who um, smelled the bowls from the ground, to do a new version. So that checks out. That Uh, would be the person that would be, yeah, okay. If you smell a bowl on the ground, we're going to collaborate. collaborate with you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, I worked with him to recruit, uh, to redo the device um, and to improve it. And then I worked with Travis Aikman um, at Shout IFF. Out. And he, we love Travis on this yeah, podcast. We really, really do um, on and off the podcast mm-hmm. everywhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, he introduced me to George Tedder, a perfumer there. Also a really wonderful artist. And George and I kind of collaborated to make sure we set the notes to be specific materials that we could curate the accords in a certain way. And he went above and beyond. I I think we had 18 notes and he gave me like 
12 different accords with just 18 notes in different combinations. This is a unique piece in that every time I show it, it's different. Mm -hmm. The device is either different, the notes are different, the performance is different. Um, it's like an evolving thing. So I, it needs to keep being shown and iterated upon. So can you give an example of um, like a single note that one could play or that you could play on the organ and then an example of an accord from maybe that plus another note? So there's a bunch of different notes in it. Some of them um, we selected because of my personal af affinity for. Um, like there's this material. I was trying to recreate the smell of um, like the, an airplane hangar, like the the walkway to on an airplane, like and like the jet fuel, the filtered air kind of smell. And I asked Saskia Wilson-Brown, who's the director of the Institute of Art and Olfaction, I asked her um, if she recommended any materials. And she told me about this one and she had me smell it. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's like chemical, um, a little bit um, fuel-like, sharp. And then she was like, yeah, it's interesting because like a lot of people also smell pineapple. And as soon as she said pineapple, I couldn't smell anything else. Um, and I liked this um, this kind of bifunctional quality of this like perceptually it can be two very different things. So we tried to find several materials that did that. And this that material is allyl amyl glycolate, by the way. Say that five times fast. Allyl amyl glycolate. <laughs> <I'm making> <laughs> Most I'm so annoying. <laughs> not even a lot of these. It's like I'll try. I try not to say things, and then when I'm talking about it, it's like, oh no, I have to like say what DPG means out loud. <laughs> I have to. I, I don't even know what yeah, that is. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say it. <laughs> a lil amyl glycolate. Yeah. So it's like yeah. this one molecule that can really it can be mixed in to have a really lovely. A pineapple fragrance um, with mm. other things um, like citronellol and stemone, which make it like green. Um, we also included calone, which is my favorite material. I'm like obsessed with it at an unhealthy level. Um, it's this note that's um, very like salty and watery. And I, I love that because not a lot like Getting the fragrance of water is hard. It doesn't have a fragrance itself, so it's not easily something you can extract. Um, so it's one of those materials that make me feel like, you know, everything's possible, even things beyond reality. So like sense right. can embody things that don't exist in reality. They can be fictional. They can be extraterrestrial. I've never thought of Calone that way, but it makes it's kind of the same with like artificial candy. Yeah. Like we've all come to associate the smell of like a candy watermelon and it's different from what watermelon yes. smells like. But we know that watermelon smell because someone created what we know as artificial watermelon. Yeah. It's a, a similar kind of yeah. interpretation. Yeah, definitely. I Yeah, I have a problem in that like I'll put it in everything and anything because like it's also like such an interesting texture, right? Like if I'm working on a floral to make it smell like drowned in salt water is very interesting to me um mm -hmm. and yeah partially because it like is things that like I wouldn't necessarily smell in a day-to-day -day and things I, I haven't necessarily smelled at all and the novelty of it um and the newness of it um is kind of lovely beautiful and we have one final segment of the yes. show it is a rapid fire scent association game I will throw out places people emotions things and you tell me the first smell that comes to mind no answer is incorrect. Great. Love it. 
Are you ready to play What's That Smell? I'm ready. Mmm, what's that smell? What is the smell of Philadelphia? Ooh, soft pretzels. I love it. Okay, what is the smell of West LA? Fresh cut grass and trophy wives. (laughs) That's the answer. Okay, what is the smell of your childhood home? Oh, dusty, uh, green TV static. Okay, what is the smell of love? Uh, Salt, water, um, distressed leather, asphalt. What is the smell of the color hot pink? Um, my brain is saying flamingo over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> yes, correct. That is the correct answer for 500 points. Okay, what is the smell of yellow? Citrus, banana. What is the smell of being a teenager? Um, Victoria's Secret. Bed Bath & Body Works. Sickly <laughs> I think sweet. you just combined Bed Bath & Beyond and Bath and & Body I Works. I mean it all. <laughs> Bed Bath & Body Works. <laughs> You're so right. You're so right. Essentially just like sickly sweet. All of it. Sickly sweet. Sickly sweet. Sickly sweet. Okay. The final question of the show. What is the smell of M. Doherty? Ooh. Um, alien. Salt, obviously. Um, maybe a little fog juice, um, maybe a little stardust, um, and then like very earthy, deep in the ground, like loam. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We got the terroir. We got the celestial, a little bit of everything in between. Yeah. If your body just goes in both directions, one up to space and one deep into the earth, that's it. Yeah. Okay. It's been such a pleasure talking with you, Em. For people listening who are curious, where can they find you? Where can they follow your work? Um, And where is your next exhibition? Yeah, my next exhibition is at Olfactory Art Keller. It's going to be another iteration of Symphonic Ephemera, and that'll be October 12th. Um, You can find me on my website, m-dockerty.com. You can find me on Instagram, mx, period, m. Doherty, D-O-U-G-H-E-R-T-Y. That's me. Um, I'm also going to be um, part of the team putting on Osmocosm. It's a global olfactory technology conference at MIT in Boston, October 20th and 21st. Highly recommend it. That's so cool. I should go to that. Definitely should. Scientists, artists, lawyers, all sorts of different perspectives coming together around the idea of like technology's impact on olfaction, digitizing olfaction, those sorts of things. Um, highly recommended. I'm a little biased. That's open to consumers too if people want to buy tickets? Yes. Amazing. I love it. Em, this has been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much, Emma. This podcast was edited by Joe Leonardo. Music is by Max Vernon and illustrations are by Israel Rodriguez. 